Welcome to another episode of Crazy Canuck Trucking. I really appreciate everybody that's following along and liking and sharing and uh, writing reviews for me. I've been trying to keep up with them, but it's kind of hard to do with everybody that's been doing that. But that's a good problem to have. I really appreciate that. And um, it makes a big difference in uh, how much my podcast gets seen. Uh, it's uh, a pretty cool end of March here in Manitoba, Canada. Um, below zero Fahrenheit the last couple of mornings. And uh, not very warm during the day. But the sun is getting higher and getting hotter. And even if it doesn't hit uh, the uh, freezing mark, then stuff is still melting because the sun is so hot. So um, reminder to everybody to be safe out there on the highways. And uh, ah, I want to give a shout out. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and um, I won't say his name, but I will say the company that he's working for, Wildwood Transport, R.E.K. Express. Um, there was a tra tragic event that happened, and uh, Kevin Mitchell, one of the owners of uh, Wildwood, uh, did what he normally does, which is be a good good human being, and uh, he helped out this driver immensely. So I love hearing stories like that. Um, thank you, Kevin, uh, for taking care of my buddy, and uh, your brother, Ryan. You know, both of you guys are amazing guys, and I really appreciate the time uh, I've had being connected with you guys in the past. So coming up on the podcast today, I have a young lady who has always followed her passion. She's actually quite amazing. At 12 years old, she was talking to her MP, and she was very involved in trying to follow through on different things, and uh, she's still not even mid-20s yet and uh, has found it something that's amazing and i saw it coming up and i thought i wanted to get her on the podcast sometime and try to see where her passion comes from so listen along to what she has to say and like i always say you know you can you see issues you see problems what are you going to do about it are you going to talk to somebody or do something where you can or you're just going to whine about it so this is a young lady that has not just talked about things but she from a very young age has been going to the people that can make a difference and she is continuing that today and uh, it's it's really good to see and so that's a reminder for all of us you know we see an issue do something about it talk to the person talk to somebody that can make a difference. Don't just gossip. Don't just try to talk amongst other people that can't do any change. So whether it's in your company or a personal life or whatever, and I tell you, I, I, it's it's in our nature, you know, it's in our nature to be like that. So, um, just a good reminder, and uh, I think you'll be very impressed with this young lady. So let's get right to it. So thank you for listening so far, and uh, I want to welcome my next guest. My next guest is the founder of Earth Cows, and her name is Clarina Pocket. So welcome, Clarina. 
Thank you very much for coming on Crazy Connect Trucking. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here today. So we met, I think it was through Twitter or TikTok. I'm not sure which one it is, but um, something caught my eye and it was Earth Cows. Mm -hmm. So why don't you start telling us, let's just jump right into it and then we'll get into some other stuff later, but tell the listeners about Earth Cows. Yeah, so Earth Cows is a marketplace where people can buy from their local farmers. It's a little different than most listings website because it's a products-based website. So you go on the website and you buy a product versus just seeing the farm itself. And so that I think is a lot better for consumers because you know exactly what they're selling, you know how much they're selling it, how many they have. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different things that you can see like on the listings page. You can see all the different listings too for like one farm. So like every farm has its profile. And then let's say they have five products that you can see all of that. So essentially it's to try to decentralize the grocery store systems. As we know, grocery stores have been getting a little bit, a little bit, um, how would I say this, greedy. <laughs> they took the inflation, which we do have inflation, and they ran with it. And so people are starting to notice that when they go and buy a steak, a tiny little steak that's like $30. Um, so people are starting to revert back to their farmers and, you know, we've had this mon monopolization of grocery stores in the last few years. It's not new. It's just that people are starting to wake up to it because the price hikes are happening now. They weren't happening like five years ago. That's really cool. So you're, it's like a direct farm to market mm -hmm. farm yeah. to consumer, basically. Yeah, so basically we want to eliminate all of the middlemen in between like the farm and your food, like having the steak on the table. So for example, I have a pound of beef that I, or a pound of ground beef I was cooking yesterday that came from my calf. Um, and that calf stayed his entire life on the farm. And then my customers, I, I didn't obviously eat the whole calf, like I only have a quarter, but my customers, they came in, they picked up the calf after it was slaughtered and put into the freezer. And then, you know, it like the calf stayed, you know exactly where the, your food comes from. You can just come to the farm and see all of the, all of the steers that are there and, and eventually that's going to be steak. And so it's not like you're, you're taking the calf and then moving it onto a feedlot, which is where like they fattened up the calves. And then they usually bring it two or three places, like to different farms. You have your cow calf operation, which is what my dad does, which, you know, the calves are born They stay with their mothers for six months and then they're weaned. And then we, they take those calves, they buy them, move them onto a feedlot or onto um, land in the summer fatten them up, send them to a slaughterhouse. And then from the slaughterhouse, it goes to a shipping um, facility. It goes to a bunch of different places. It's all of this emission that are like being burned for the people who are the environmental activists. And then finally you have steak on like on the grocery store shelves. And then that stays there usually for a couple of weeks and then a consumer buys it. So 
there's a lot of stuff that goes on um, from the grocery store. It's not just a product that comes straight from a farm. It's there's a lot of different steps where your food goes to before it goes to the grocery store versus the farm. We have the cows. They're born on the farm. They're raised on the farm. They're fattened up on the farm. They go to the slaughterhouse and then they come back as your steak. And that's kind of the trajectory of buying from earth cows versus buying from grocery stores. Yeah, I'd, I'd have, um, yeah, a lot of people won't realize how many miles the animals actually put on, you know, before they get onto the grocery shelf. Mm-hmm. And depending on where you're shopping and everything, that that beef could be from many, many different places. People mm-hmm. like to think it's local and the grocery stores try to pretend that things, all things are local, but it's not generally the case um yeah and those animals could have been from anywhere and you know what i think all of it has to be ethically raised Mm -hmm. you know i'm not i'm we're not going we're not going to say one way is horrible and one way is better i think all of our ranchers all of our farmers look after the animals as Mm -hmm. well as they can you know um it's just you cut out a lot of extra steps that don't need to be there if that's something that's important to you Mm -hmm. then that's what you're offering the consumer is something that's actually less emissions (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and and it's it sounds kind of funny to say that in a way but there are people that really care about that and it's also nice to know um where the animal has been you know and how it's been treated yeah and another thing is i was actually talking about that on like the earth cows tiktok page um i think it was like two or three weeks ago before i got my freezer beef because i just just got the freezer beef but like a few weeks ago we ran out of beef and i went to the grocery store and i bought a pound of hamburger and I left it out maybe for a couple of days and then I froze it and I took it out, which I have insane like freezing practices. It's don't do this people. Anyways, um, I took it out and there's no reason why it should be bad because it was out for a couple of days and I smelt it and the smell was so revolting, <laughs> so revolting. And like I've been using like farm fresh beef forever and I looked at the like the pack of hamburger and, you know, what's interesting when you open a, a pack of hamburger from the grocery store is that it's pink on top at the bottom, it's brown. And that's because they inject food colorant on in the hamburger because it's on the shelf for like three weeks. Right. And so they put in that they put in water. So usually like when you buy a, a pound of hamburger, usually you'll notice it like shrinks incredibly. I was cooking beef from my freezer beef, fresh from my my calf yesterday and I was like this is weird it didn't shrink by like like 50 percent like the grocery store beef usually does my my beef barely shrinks it shrinks a little bit obviously because you're like cooking it but like you get so much you get actual fat in the beef that you're cooking and the ground beef that you're cooking and there's like it doesn't shrink incredibly which like the grocery store beef shrinks a lot more you like start cooking a, a pound of of beef and it's like almost all gone. There's like barely nothing left in your pan once it's brown. 
So I thought that was really interesting. So definitely when you buy from farmers, the quality is a lot fresher. It's a lot better. You don't have all these corporations messing with your food either. Like, you know that when, (laughs) like I'm cooking this like pound of ground beef from my calf, it came from the calf. It was processed obviously because it's ground beef and then it was packaged and then it was frozen. So it's, it hasn't been on the shelf for like three weeks. It's directly from when it's packaged after it's been processed to the freezer. And then you take it out and, and you cook with it. Very interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, and I don't know, maybe educate us a little bit on hanging time, you know, like mm-hmm. the longer animals hang, a beef anyway the longer it hangs the more tender it's going to be you know there's some some high-end restaurants that you know they say 28 days minimum is what their beef hangs and i don't know what it is in for grocery stores is there is there a difference in grocery stores as far as length of hang and stuff like that i honestly don't know the answer to that question but i do know that our farm we hang for 14 days and the beef is very tender. Um, yeah, I have no clue. That's actually such a great question. Something I'm going to do some research on because that's not even something I thought about. But yeah, like our our farm, we hung for 14 days. And and yeah, and then it was packaged and frozen immediately. And then it went to the customers. So yeah. I, I know, um, I, I don't know what the practice is everywhere, but I've been... Um involved with some butchering in the in the past mm-hmm. and they had hang for seven days mm-hmm. and it becomes such a space issue you know because you have to have a large refrigerator basically if you the longer you want to hang it because you have more beef continually coming in and uh so in order to save space which space is money for corporations they tend to shorten up the hanging time which results in a, a less tender uh, type of beef. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know what Cargill's practices are or any of these like big corporation, but I did work for a butcher shop for like eight months when I was like in high school. And I think they would do like 10 to 14 days. And it really depends on the customer. Some customers want it longer and you have to pay for that. Um, but at our butcher shop where we got cut like a couple of weeks ago, it was two weeks. They said we're hanging it for two weeks because that's the best amount of time. And we were like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, let's uh, delve into the origins a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh, first of all, we'll start by going back. Um, where did Clarina grow up? Where, what, uh, you grew up in, you know, it's going to be obvious that you grew up on a farm because you already said your dad has cow calf, but, uh, tell us about your childhood. Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Sudbury, Ontario, uh, which is, I would say like four hours from Toronto, four hours from Ottawa. Um, and we lived in like a house in like, I wouldn't even say like the suburbs, but I guess you could consider like like the suburbs of like, one of the towns near Sudbury. And then when I was 10 months old, we moved to where we are now. But what's really interesting about our farm is that 
when we moved there, it was a house, it was a garage, there was a woodshed, and there was what became of a chicken coop, but it was a garden shed at the time. And there was a bunch of trees. So my dad actually got rid of all the trees around the house because they were all like overgrown trees. I don't know if you like it, know the difference. There's like forest trees and then there's like trees that grow in fields because you never cultivate. So it was those types of trees that were growing. So my dad got rid of all the trees. We built a little shed and then we got our first three cows and their names were Vitsy, Katie and Jensi. And I remember, I literally even remember what we ate that night, um, but it's in French. So I can't can't translate that but anyways say it, say it in french it was it well we called it uh Giselle, and it's i can't even translate that but it's just like ground beef mixed in with like ketchup and and soup and a bunch of stuff and it's really good so we ate that and i remember the cows coming into the shed and i literally thought to myself like this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life i love cows and that's where my passion started. I was always, you know, an animal, um, animal girl. Like I loved animals. And so, except for dogs, I don't like dogs, but any other animal I'm fine with. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so we started having cows. We've experimented, we had many cows. And then finally, when I was um, 14 years old, I bought my first cow. Her name was Clarabelle. I named her after myself and I put a bell on her. And then I had another cow named um, Daphne. And then I had Hannah, which is my current cow's mother. And I had her for a few years and then unfortunately she died. And, and now I have her, her calf, Rosa, who's now like four years old. And I also have a Canadian named Raina. So a Canadian is a old, very old dairy breed. Very, very rare. They're black and red. Um, she's more black than red, but yeah, she, so she just had a calf a few weeks ago. And then my, basically earth cows kind of started, I would say like 11 years ago. I know that's kind of crazy. You're like, we haven't heard about it 11 years ago, but I was very concerned about the trajectory of, you know, basically the decline of family farms. And so I was constantly harassing my MP when I was like 12 years old. And my MP had no idea that I was 12. So he would call me and he'd ask my mom, like, hey, can I talk to Clarina? And my mom was like, she's 12. Why are you calling? <laughs> and she's like, well, she emailed me. So I'm just calling back. And this was an NDP MP at the time. And I was like a big fan of his. And anyways, so I would, you know, contact them. I contacted a bunch of celebrities, too, because I was going to start a farm aid. I don't know where I got these ideas. But anyways. And so I was really always very concerned about kind of the corporation monopolies that they have on our food, but I wasn't like, I was concerned on more a different way, like more, oh my God, all the small farms are dying type of way. Whereas now I'm seeing, obviously 10 years later, I'm 23 now, um, I'm seeing it a little bit differently. Whereas I'm like, okay, this is bad, obviously, because we want farmers, but also we don't want one or two people to have a full control over our food supply that would be disastrous for us right so that's where earth cows started and then i kind of abandoned all of these ideas when i was like in high school because i was too busy doing other stuff and then yeah I, I moved to toronto when i was 18 years old i went and, and milked on a dairy farm i showed in 4-h and then i did 
my paralegal diploma, became a paralegal, did absolutely nothing with that. <laughs> and then finally, I started a blog, I think it was in 2021, when I started Earth Cows, because I had to devote every single ounce of energy, because obviously, this is a big project, and it takes a lot of time. And so yeah, that's kind of the beginning of Earth Cows. Beginning of Earth Cows. So it was a long, it was a long overnight success. I mean, I always say that everything in my life kind of like it took a turn where I started realizing like the purpose of my life um, last year when I started th thinking about Earth Cows because I was like, oh my God, this is something I've been working on kind of for the past 11 years. Like not a lot of people can say that they were doing that at 12 years old and then eventually it turns into a company, right? So that's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I basically thought, I thought about the actual like name on my snowmobile. That's like my best thinking time is when I'm driving my snowmobile. So yeah, I thought about it. And then I started like putting pieces together of my life because it seemed very confusing because I've done so many things that are like not related to each other. And when I started building Earth Cows, I saw, okay, this is why you're a paralegal. You need to know legal stuff. You need, you need some credibility too, because the the big reason I think that I became a paralegal, like um, not subconsciously, is that I needed something else to be able to relate to city people. Because people like city people look at farmers and are, they're like, okay, you've been on a farm, but I've, I have different experience. I've been able to, first of all, like I have vegan friends or I had vegan friends. They're no longer vegan, but they were when I met them. Like I, I have a different experience with the public than most farmers. Um, and that was because of my paralegal di uh, diploma. That's something that's very, um, it's very striking. Like, well, first of all, the passion that you had as a 12 year old and thinking outside the box and having a concern for the farms, the environment around you, others around you, that's not many have that much of a focus at 12 years old. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, touching on that city folk versus farm folk, you know, that's, that's a huge topic these days is how do you get one to re relate to the other? And um, it's interesting that you say through your paralegal stuff, you're able to bridge that gap a little easier. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, do you think earth cows can also help bridge that gap? Oh yeah, definitely. Because city people are actually having hands-on experience with their farmers. That's one of the main uh, points of earth cows. It's not how I market it just because like, there's only a very small percentage of people who are going to be like, Oh yeah. Like I want to buy from my local farms. You know, you have to obviously market it a different way, not just that way. Um, but it's definitely a thing. Like, obviously if you have city people who've never been on farms and, and this is something that I've seen when I was um, studying to be a paralegal, I would have all these like vegetarian people 
that were like talking to me and I was telling them like, cause I, I've never been shy about talking about cows. Even if I, I'm like seem weird to them, I, I don't care. Like I'm going to talk to you about my cows and that's the end of that. So I would talk to them about cows and, and they would have absolutely no idea what we do on farms and they're like, you know, oh, well, I've never seen a cow live or do you still milk by hand? And I was like, oh my God, no, like <laughs> even the Amish don't milk by hand anymore. Like we have robots. And so these things kind of made me realize how disconnected the public is to the 2% of people who feed them to the farms. And so, you know, it's definitely an interest and people have that interest. It's just that it's really hard to find local farms on the internet without knowing like service provider like earth cows to look for me it was to make it as easy as possible for first of all the farmers to put on their products and second of all for the consumers to you know it's a two second search you go in you put in your location you put in what you want you click search and that's the end of that and you know you've just been able to contact a farmer so let's cover that then. We talked a lot about beef and your beef and earth cows. Mm -hmm. Is it only cows that you're dealing with? No. <laughs> the reason why I use, <laughs> a lot of people ask me that. Um, no, it's all produce. So it's all vegetables, corn, um, grains. If people want to make pies and sell them, they can like, um, like beer. You could sell beer on my website you guys um like anything that is food can go on the website the reason why i use cows it's a play on word earth cows because cows are constantly blamed uh, by climate change and it's to make people remember because you don't see something called earth cows very often right and a lot even a lot of vegans will come on my my twitter posts and i have like a couple of them that are constantly harassing me and they're like why did you call it earth cows do you not know about cows creating climate change and i was like do you not realize that it's the whole point of it that's the reason why i like decided to name it that <laughs> <laughs> it's it's clickbait in the in the title <laughs> yeah i mean it's and it's, it definitely gets people talking um yeah like that's the reason why i decided with earth cows um when i was deciding on the name i was asking myself like oh or way before actually way before the name um i had thought to myself like why are we having something called veganuary did you ever hear about that yeah so i was yeah. like why do i have something called veganuary in the middle of january like that seems so crazy that we have that when you have to like fly all of your vegetables from mexico and from south america to canada and to britain and to like all of the like Western countries that care about veganism, right? And so I thought to myself, the beef industry should do something similar. And so I did think about like a, an idea and I kind of launched it in January, but it didn't really like work that great because I didn't have any <laughs> enough farms on earth cows. But um, I, I thought about something called like the cows for the earth and it's like buy beef to save the planet type thing. <laughs> and it's it seems because technically we should be eating seasonally and I know I'm like the biggest hypocrite because I'm like eating berries right now and we don't have berries <laughs> fresh from Mexico but technically we should be eating seasonally and what we eat seasonally in the winter would be potatoes and canned goods and beef right or meat and so I thought okay if we do like a campaign similar to vegan uh veganuary and we do it cows for the earth or meat for the earth something like that 
uh, that would work. And then I was like, I can't call Earth cows before Earth cows. I can't call Earth cows cows for the Earth. That's like way too long. And so I decided to just shorten it up and put Earth cows together. And that's that's how it was born. The name. You're uh, you're very. I was trying to think of a simpler word, but you're very cerebral. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> very you you think a lot. Like uh, cerebellum is your brain or something, right? But you think a lot of the meaning behind things and you put thought into the background of things, not just willy-nilly pull out something that sounds cute, Mm -hmm. right? Everything has meaning for you uh, when, when you're putting things together. It has a meaning. There's a reason why you've done certain things. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. uh, it's not just a showy, just not just a showy name or something. I I didn't, honestly, I didn't catch the reference with earth cows because I, it it is not something that, you know, I discuss with anybody as far as cows wrecking the environment, because I'm just like, excuse me, you have no clue. You know, so it, it just doesn't ever enter into my mind. Yeah. And I, I I don't, I mean, I deal with other things. But um, it's interesting you say about eating seasonal. You want to expand on that a little bit? We Actually, I don't know of, here again is something you think about and you have background on things. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it uh, that we should be easy, eating seasonal or... Expand on that a little bit. I mean, the simple reason is that technically we should be able to provide locally all of the food that we eat. You can't, as you know, you can't grow corn in the middle of January, right? Unless you have like a big greenhouse, but that's not really sustainable for the environment to be like growing an acre of corn in a greenhouse in the middle of January and you'd have to have heat and whatever. So our grandparents, great grandparents and whatever, those people at that time before electricity, before planes, we would basically have these gigantic like ice boxes and they would put in their beef. They would can everything. So the little vegetable that they ate in the winter was canned. And then they would have like flour. So like very preservable things. So that's why I say like if we only ate potatoes and then meat in the winter and they would salt their porks too, right? So like they, they had different like things that they would do and they would eat primarily meat bread and potatoes in the winter because that's a easily preservable things well now you go to a grocery store and it's like colorful right in the middle of winter there's a bunch of vegetables with like nothing sorry nothing wrong with them we have fruits again i'm the biggest hypocrite because i'm totally eating berries right now because i'm like i'm like a mid carnivore like i eat berries and like meats primarily as my diet um, and then, you know, you go in the grocery store and you can get any type of produce that you want, but it's flown from South America. It's flown from, you know, hotter countries. And that's not really sustainable, first of all, because we like have so much land, we should be able to sustain ourselves in Canada. But second of all, like, if you want to talk about the environment, like, that's the first thing you should attack is where, well, like, why are you flying all of your avocados from Mexico when you could eat sustainably and eat 
uh, products that are grown in season, right? So here's, here's another question too. Um, is it healthier for us if we have diets that change as, as the seasons go around? I was actually talking with like a recovering vegan on my podcast, I'd say like a month or two ago. And, and she says her theory is that yes, it is healthier because your break, your body gets a break from certain things, right? We have a lot more disease now. That's arguably true. Um, we have a lot of problems. Like people are having like Alzheimer's at like crazy ages. Like we didn't, we didn't even hear about Alzheimer's like a hundred years ago. Right. Like we didn't hear about all the problems we have. My family is riddled with autoimmune disease and my mom solved her autoimmune disease by going on an all meat diet and then going keto. And that makes you think really, what are we eating? And we used to not eat vegetables in the middle of winter. And that's just a fact. And they were a lot healthier. My great grandparents were a lot healthier back then when they weren't pumped with sugar and eating vegetables at all times of the year. And I'm not, I'm not here to like shit on vegetables or anything, but you know, it used to be like, we used to have a very seasonal based diet and now we don't, and we have a lot of problems. (laughs) So it could be, I don't know. It'd be an interesting um, survey for people to do for scientists to look into. It's not something that's talked about very much. I feel like I'm like the only person on earth like whenever like vegan activists are like talking about like the environment, I'm like, why are we flying avocados from Mexico when you could be eating beef in your backyard? Like riddle me this, you know? And so I'm like the only person who talks about this. I didn't, uh, I didn't think about the effect of diet changing seasonally and how good that is for us. You know, like it makes sense in a way because we have, like I know for me personally, I've lived down south where the temperature is more moderate all year round, mm-hmm. and I hated it. My body could not get used to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and other people, that's that's what they like better. I I like the seasons. I like cold, and I like warm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I my body works better when I have changes in temperature, or at least mentally too. It helps me. Mm-hmm when there's changes you know every person is a little different it's interesting um during COVID, i moved my mom into uh, our house with us and uh she she needs people around her she's she might not like it when i say this but she's a social butterfly she likes being around people she uh you know now when my grandkids are here then they'll go and see gigi ma and she loves that. And she does little things with a little two-year-old or four-year-old walking around, whatever, you know, she has a ton of fun with them. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, when things were a little more restricted, because Manitoba was worse than Ontario, and as far as their restrictions, it was ridiculous here. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she took the time to look into diet and what works for her body type and th- things like that. And she doesn't like to make a, a big deal about it because she knows that everybody's body is going to be, is different and reacts different to different foods. Mm-hmm. So there's no one thing that she says will make everybody healthy, you know, 
you have to find out what kind of body works for you and stuff. She's lost like 80 pounds. Like she's looking, she was having a harder time climbing stairs and stuff. She's 83, almost 84. And um, now she's, she's looking like she's 20 years younger. Mm-hmm. And just from eating more simple, less sugar, uh, less sugar. Um, I'm not sure what all she does, you know, but it's, it's worked really well for her and she looks very healthy. She was starting to have some diabetes issues. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have that anymore, you know, and it's, uh, it's been kind of neat to see, you know, just by paying attention to what her body responds to. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea behind like the lion diet. What my mom did is that they, she eliminated everything except for meat for six weeks, meat, salt, and water. And I can't imagine doing that. I'm not that crazy, but she did it because she was sick like a dog. She, you know, she, she was very unhealthy. Like we, we would have figured that she would have died within like five years if she didn't change her diet. And anyways, she stopped doing whatever. And her body tells her exactly like if she eats a piece of cheese her body doesn't like she'll be sick for two days or she ate like stuffing at Christmas and she was sick for two days and, or she, she like that type of stuff. She, her body tells her what she can and cannot eat. And she's so much healthier. She's lost like 40 pounds. Um, she just, she, she actually has life in her face. And I tell her that all the time and she gets mad at me. She's like, I had life before. And I was like, no, you didn't. You look like a walking zombie. And I'm not saying that to be mean to her, but like, it's true. <laughs> she did look like a walking zombie. And it's like now, and she had all these, like, it's not just like one autoimmune disease. They like diagnosed her with like five of them, right? She had like blood clots and she has a lot of nerve damage. And even her nerve damage is getting better now, which is not something that she ever thought was possible without changing her diet yeah that's amazing and what is what does she think of uh what you're doing with earth cows it'd be interesting to hear some of her some of her perspective on what she's seen with young clarina growing up and changing things and having such a desire to help people yeah what does she she think of that she talks about it all the time uh yeah she likes it What is, uh, so you, you get a lot of support from family? Yeah. Yeah. Like the family that I, that I have, yeah, they do support me with earth cows and my dad has hamburger currently on there. Um, well our hamburger, cause I own the calf half of him. So yeah. So we're, you know, he's using it and, and we're kind of just testing it out, but yeah. That's really cool. So, um, what is your is there an end goal for earth cows uh, how big do you want it to get you know like what what is what are you seeing in the future yeah so like the thoughts that i have about earth cows obviously like i'm its mother right it's like my baby um like i want it to be a global alternative to grocery stores i want it to not just be in canada but be across the world and just be a good alternative to grocery store. Um, I see it more like as an Airbnb type of website where like it's well known to the point where you almost don't have to market. People know, okay, I want local food, go on Earth Cows, put in my what I want and then press search and 
there you have it. You have local produce. Uh, I might dabble into delivery services in uh, in and around like um, the big metropolitan cities. That would be interesting, I think, to say the least. But it'd be something to consider because not all Toronto, like not not all, all like city people have cars and are able to drive to farms and whatnot. So I, I do see there's a lot of opportunities to grow for earth cows, but my main concern right now is just getting farms on and as fast as possible. And, and yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what is the website address again? I'll put it up on the screen later, but what is, what is the website? So it's earthcows.com. And, nice and simple. Yeah. And the logo is one of my old or one of my cows that, is really old her name is amanda and it's her face on top of an earth <laughs> i just love the i just love the logos i find all the logos recently so boring and so i wanted something really colorful really eye-catching and i settled on amanda i have like a lot of cows to choose from but i was like this is this girl is my most reliable girl i can do videos with her sitting on her without a problem and yeah yeah it's uh those are those are amazing pictures to show city people that their their animals your animals are getting treated well you know mm. they're not just uh they're not just an object you know it's it's pretty cool when city people can actually see what goes on mm. you know, the animals yeah. are not being abused in most cases oh yeah like farmers in most cases they love their animals obviously like there's always going to be farms that are not you know and that's very sad but at the end of the day like it, it happens in every single industry it's not just like farming it's all the industries it's just human nature and we as farmers we have a lot of pride and we love our cattle like i even the ones that are in the freezer they had names too like everyone has names on my farm and <laughs> sometimes to freak out my friends i'll just be like oh here here's my my calf <laughs> and they're like what or like they're gonna be eating ground beef with me and i'm like oh yeah by the way that was so and so and they're like what <laughs> you name them and i'm like yeah we only have like 20 cows <laughs> yeah that's really cool so um i want to thank you for coming on yeah, i no think problem. uh i i really uh fell in love with the idea mm -hmm. um, when I first saw it. I don't know how long ago it was. Maybe I saw it when you're launching it in January, but uh, I really like the idea. I'm going to sign up my place. We've already talked about that uh, for some sweet corn in season. And uh, that'll be, uh, I, I, I hope it goes extremely well for you because I think it's a necessary, it's a necessary service you can, you can provide and the other farms can provide that um, you can bring the city closer to the farm to see how things are actually done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank but, you so much for having me on. It was really good. Any final thoughts before we sign off? No, I think, I think your listeners kind of, had a very clear view of earth cows and its origins and everything. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this. I think, uh, 
I'm not going to be the only one. There's going to be many people there that are going to fall in love with earth cows and uh, what you're doing. It's very, oh, yeah. very cool. It's honestly like the amount of love and support. I have people who are like talking about earth cows who are speaking about earth cows. I have people like just going to every, like all the stores that they know and telling them about earth cows. So like, there's a lot of people who are very passionate about this. And I guess that's something I didn't realize would happen. And it was like really overwhelming because I'm like, oh my God, I didn't, I, you know, obviously as the founder of Earth Cows, I'm like very passionate about it, but I didn't think people would be as excited about it as I am, you know? So that's really nice to see. I, I related something to you when we we're talking before about um, local, you know, when I sell my corn in the summertime, uh, I did not expect people to care so much that it's local. Mm -hmm. And people really, really care that the product is not getting shipped from far away. Mm -hmm. And by far away, I mean anything over 10 miles, pretty much, you know, and it's very, very, very interesting. That is a huge selling point that I, I had totally no idea of until people started asking me that question. Is this local? Is this local? I got to tell me up. My farm is just down the road, five, six miles. And they're like, cool, you want to buy then, you know, so that was pretty cool. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, check out uh, earthcows.com. Uh, there's going to be more farms getting added here. It's not going to be just cows. It's going to be whatever can be raised, grown, cooked, boiled, baked, whatever. If you have an idea and you want to put it on there, contact Clarina. I did that with uh, my sweet corn. I said, hey, should this fit your what you want? And Clarina said, absolutely, come on down and uh, sign up. So, um, and remind everybody to rate and review the show. And um, again, check out earthcows.com. It's really cool. It's an easy website to navigate. And uh, it's a fantastic idea. So thank you very much.